Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I'm stoked you've decided to join me on this journey to bring about a massive and positive change in the lives of others. Every week, you're going to join me behind closed doors where I will introduce you to entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators from a variety of industries to learn how their contributions are impacting the lives of others and how they are having a game-changing impact in the world. Thanks for investing your time with me today. Now, brace for impact. Over the last several months, we have had some incredible conversations with New York Times bestselling authors, world champion athletes, award-winning entrepreneurs, Navy SEALs, and leadership experts, as well as a whole variety of other entrepreneurs. And each and every one of them provided incredible takeaways and lessons that each of us can apply in our daily lives in our mission to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. But I wanted to create a special episode that featured key lessons from the top 10 interviews and conversations from 2016. Before we get into that, I hope you and yours have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year, and we will see you in 2017. Coming in at number 10, we have episode five with New York Times bestselling author Dave Kirpin on the most important question you can ask. Let's say they're in a in, in a big meeting. They're they're getting ready to pitch uh, for some funding. They're they're uh, they're sitting across the table from their dream client. What's the most important question they should ask in order to stand out? And what should they do to stay top of mind with their colleagues or customers? Cool. So you know, I um, I tell the story in the art of people about Michael Kislin, who was one of just literally hundreds of salespeople that reach out to book my my time every week, you know, from commercial real estate agents to financial planners to insurance people. Um, you know, I get hit up as so many of us do uh, all the time. And, you know, for some reason he got my attention. He said he just wanted 15 minutes with me and he just wanted to ask me one question and he promised he wouldn't sell me. I said, all right, you know what, fine, come in 15 minutes, whatever. Um, and he came in and um, he said, you know, I'm just here to ask you how I can help you. And I said, what do you mean? Like, what, how you can help me with what, whatever it is you have to sell me? He's like, no, no, no. Like, tell me what you're focused on right now and, and how can I help you with it? So I said, all right, I'll give this a shot. I said, I'm raising money for my new software startup and, you know, you can introduce me to VCs. He said, okay, great. I'm, I'm, I'll work on that. And then, um, and then I said, well, all right, so what are you, what are you like really here for? What, you know, what's your spiel? And he said, no, I'm not going to even go there at all. That's not why I came in. And so I'm not going to go there. And I was just shocked by that. I, I found it so amazing that, you know, not all, I mean, a lot of people say, how, how can I help you? But like, he really meant it. And of course he followed up by making those VC introductions, which was pretty awesome. Um, and then, you know, several months later, when I, when I kind of, had a bit of a need, I called him up. I said, you know what? I, I need a financial planner and I'd love for you to be the guy. And he won my business, not by selling me at all, but by really asking how can I help you and and then being being authentically um there to actually, you know, follow through. So that's my question. Uh, how can I help you? And you have to ask it really with sincerity. Coming in at number nine, we have episode 12 with Ian Utili 
on the importance of humility and not letting your career define you. So while I was at Kikui, um, I was, when, right before I left, I was working 14 hours a day. Um, I had recruited an incredible guy that's now the CEO today, Todd Westerlint, uh, just a, a champion in our industry, uh, both in software and auto repair. And I had brought on just some incredible talent. And I all I did was just, I just was excited and telling about it and they got attracted and came, right? So awesome. Uh, Mike Giblin, who's also from Santa Cruz, uh, president of the company. And then, um, you know, some of the other founding employees that have been really vital. And so it's interesting as I look at my role, I worked 14 hours a day, you know, five days a week or so. And, uh, I just first one there, last one to leave often. And I just, I was so invested in that company. And then, it was pretty abrupt when I left. So when I left, it was kind of tied to me having an Achilles tendon rupture. And I could no longer drive from Santa Cruz to Silicon Valley hmm, an hour drive each way. And my, uh, the CEO and founder, uh, my, you know, my, the guy that we started out of his house, he basically came to me and said, hey, listen, you've done your greatest contribution. Not that you can't do greater contributions, but a lot of what you do from here would be learning on the job. Like we've now gone from startup to established corporation and you've attracted greater talent that can take your job and do better than you can without you being here. And what would you think about leaving now and having this as legacy and moving on to your next thing? Now, that was a little bit difficult for me because there's a sense of like, gosh, I like I have a 10-year vision to be here. But we worked it out so that I could leave and I think that was a really pivotal moment where I thought to myself, you know what? If Kikui defined me, I would be so completely devastated and um, I would feel like my life was taken. But it didn't define me, right? My, my faith defines me, my family defines me, and uh, what I can contribute to whatever I put my hand to today. Coming in at number eight, we have episode three with former editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, Amy Cosper on the difference between those who succeed and those who do not. What is one behavior, and I'm going to switch this question. I, I, sent, I sent a different form of this question to you, but I'm going, to, I'm going to say, what is one behavior or trait that you see in these entrepreneurs that is almost a, a, a guarantee or significantly enhances the probability of success? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, just going back to the first part of this question, Branson would be the first person to tell you he has failed epically in his career, you know, more than he has succeeded. Um, but to that end, the, the one characteristic that I have observed, and this is, again, casual, not scientific, but successful entrepreneurs and really, you know, successful people in general, they have this clarity of vision. Right, they can tell you in three sentences or less what their idea is, or what their company is, or what their service is. Like there is such a clarity and such a you know like almost like a the adrenaline rush. Like it just keeps their idea keeps them up at night. It keeps them you know it keeps them going. I mean it's just this passion that comes up from the gut level and you know drives these people toward this vision, this this clear clear vision. And the less successful entrepreneurs. And I've met a lot of them too. They have a much murkier view of, of explaining their idea. And I think if you get lost in the, the weeds and the murk of your idea, you really need to go back and rethink your, your vision statement. 
Coming in at number seven is episode 34 with Juliet Starrett, co-founder of San Francisco CrossFit and world champion athlete on facing and overcoming challenges using the champion's mindset. You know, you've faced your share of challenges when I was getting ready for our interview. You not only have you faced challenges just as an athlete, because that's how athletes roll. They they get to the top, they sink to the bottom, and they work hard to get back up. But you've also battled cancer. And another thing that I thought was crazy too, how many kids do you guys have now? Two kids. Two kids. One of your kids was in the NICU. Yes. And you were you had worked out all the way through your pregnancy, were in great peak condition, and and then you went to zero and had to zero. start over again. Yes. You know? So like let's let's talk about adversity and how your mindset from all of this previous life experience equipped you to not only crush cancer and kick it in the in the knees, but also to bounce back from from going back to, to zero. There's so many people that just quit. Yeah, you know? it's hard. So, you know, it was really strange what I was diagnosed with cancer my uh, September of my junior year of uh, college. And that's actually why I only rode for two years because I was diagnosed with cancer. And it was a very strange experience because I was 20 years old and I was not sick. So I not only was not sick, I was like really not sick. You know, I was training twice a day as a rower. I'd been doing that for seven years. I was young. I felt vibrant and vital. I was a college student. I was super stoked. Um, so to get that diagnosis of cancer, and I actually think it's not that uncommon. You know, there's quite a few different kinds of cancer you get where you actually don't feel sick at all. So all of a sudden you go from being like totally not sick to like everyone treats you like you're sick. And you're like, wait, I'm not sick. Like, I don't feel sick. And uh, so so that derailed me a little bit. I mean, I actually barely took any time off of college, but I did have to take a week off to get a big surgery. I had over Christmas vacation, I got radiation. It took me a couple of years to kind of get my thyroid levels back in order. And, you know, this may sound cliche, but I will say that getting cancer at a young age like that really taught me to like just be stoked to be alive and like enjoy this journey. And I do, I mean, I feel this like immense, like I honestly sometimes wake up and I'm like, and it sounds silly, but I wake up, I'm like, I'm still alive. Like, this is awesome. And so that, I think, really kind of changed the way I viewed things at a really young age. I think a lot of people get to that point of feeling that sense of, like, appreciation and gratitude, but sometimes it's not till later in life. Yeah. Um, so to learn that at 20, I think, has been pretty awesome. And also has, you know, shaped some of my decisions, you know? I mean, I always kind of knew I wanted to go to law school, but... If I hadn't had cancer, I'm pretty sure I just would have gone like college law school. Mm -hmm. And instead I was like, oh, hell no. I'm going to go like try this whitewater paddling thing. I'm going to travel all over the world and go to every single continent except for Antarctica and like fill up my passport and go do a bunch of stuff. And then I'm going to go to law school. And I'm pretty sure if I hadn't had cancer that, you know, that wouldn't have happened. Now, I also bugs me when people who have cancer just talk about it, how it was like great and awesome and like changed their life for the positive. Like it fucking sucked. I'm sorry. That's the one time I'll say the F word on your podcast. <laughs> it was not fun. And you know, it has been a lifelong challenge to keep my thyroid. I had thyroid cancer. It's a lifelong challenge to keep my thyroid levels in order. Um, it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. So it's, it's definitely been a challenge, but I think overall it has 
impacted me in a super positive way. And then the second, the second sort of big sketchy health thing that happened to me is I had with my second daughter a thing called placenta previa. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh-huh. you've heard of it. Yeah, it's bad. I ended up having to have nine blood transfusions before, during, and after my daughter was born, including one that Kelly and I actually laugh about to this day because like we probably twisted people, but I had just had a C-section and I moved into this room and I'm under all these weird like electric blankets because I'm so cold. And the other thing is I was so freaking thirsty. And I said to Kelly at this time, I was like, dude, I see why all those guys in those Vietnam movies are so thirsty because I mean like, so at least I was that conscious to have this, but I think they, my blood pressure was so low. They thought that I was going to stroke out. So the, the nurses were literally pushing cold blood, like out of the IV bag. Normally they warm it up and they let it drip. They were just pushing it into my system. So fortunately I was able to keep my sense of humor, even in that dark moment. Um, and then because our daughter had been born six weeks early, she was in the NICU and that was pretty traumatic because I think as a culture, we do a pretty bad job of dealing with pretty much anything but positive things, right? Like around babies, like no one knows what to do or say, like unless your baby comes out like healthy and perfect and it was this beautiful birth and everybody's happy and it was like this wonderful, beautiful home birth experience. Like people literally don't know what to say. So that's an awkward experience to have where people are like, oh, oh your kid's in the NICU, like is it an emergency? Is everything fine? Like what do, how do we support you? You know, no one really knows what to do because we've done a bad job as a culture of setting people up to, you know, and, and a lot of people have this experience. And so so that was really hard and just not expected. And, you know, again, I'd been crossfitting like up till two days. And, you know, I went to work at the law firm the day that I was admitted to the hospital. So, you know, I was like right up to the thing, training the whole time. And then, you know, between having a C-section and losing three quarters of the blood in my body, I mean, my hematocrit was like 14 and most people's hematocrit is like 45. So, I mean, I was jacked. So it obviously took me a long time to recover. Um, And the low moment I will tell you is when I was finally kind of recovered enough was probably eight weeks after all this, where I felt like I could even try to work out. And I just went down to do a push up. And I fell to the ground and I did not, I could not push myself back up. Not a single push up. And I remember being like, oh my God, it's on. Like I have, I have zero, zero strength, zero fitness, like nothing. But you know, I actually was like, all right, here we go. Like I've got to start somewhere. And it was bad. It was a bad baseline. So I knew that like all I could do was go up. And fortunately, I had already been crossfitting before the pregnancy. So I was pretty sure that I I was already following like an effective training program. I knew how to eat. And I will tell you that I was pretty proud that literally like almost two years to the, a little sooner than two years to the day my daughter was born, I competed at the CrossFit Games. Coming in at number six, episode six with Cameron Harold on steps to supercharge your vision and focus. But why do you think focus is so important and how can entrepreneurs with these supercharged brains get focused? Sure. So the, the first, so focus is important and the analogy I use is like light. When you take light and you disperse it, it'll light up a room. But when you take light and you focus it intensely, it becomes like a laser and it can cut through steel. So the idea is how do we take our efforts and focus them given the restraints or constraints that we have of our ADD? So there's a few little games that we can play with ourselves as entrepreneurs. The first is to make sure that everyone around us is literally on the same page. So that vivid vision that I talk about in in chapter one of Double Double 
is really about getting the what your company looks like three years from now described in vivid detail in a three or four page written document. And then giving that three or four page vivid vision to everyone, all of your employees, suppliers, customers, potential employees, literally sharing that vivid vision of what your company looks like with the world. So that way, your, your initial efforts and your ongoing strategic discussions and learning are all driving towards that. So that's step one. Step two is making sure that you always continually surround yourselves with, with the people that are stronger than you in the areas that you may not be strong in. So unlike in school where we're supposed to memorize everything and become, you know, get graded on all subjects, pick one or two areas of the entrepreneur that is your unique ability that you love and get energized from and start delegating everything else except genius, you know, getting all of the other parts of your business off your plate and getting them out to either outsource people or freelances or, you know, assistants or, or hiring people, but getting that stuff off your plate. So that's starting to focus your effort around the stuff that you're great at and you get energy from. The next area would be making sure that you're setting proper goals, annual, quarterly, monthly, and weekly and daily goals. You know, I actually have an accountability partner and you've mentioned his name twice in our interview, but Joe Polish and I set our daily top three business goals with each other and send them to each other using an app, Commit to Three, every single day. He sends his three to me, I send my three to him, and it's just an accountability at a fairly granular level um, of what we're focusing on for the day. Next thing is recognizing that we need we need breaks. We need natural breaks in our day. So only scheduling you know, 60 to 70% of your calendar during the day and leaving the rest as open or free time or project work. Um, allowing yourself to sit in different parts of your home or different parts of your business. You know, I hated having an office. In fact, for the last probably 12 months at running 1-800-GOT-JUNK when I was the COO, I didn't even have a desk. I would just go and sit in different people's desks during the day if they're away on holidays and I would just work from different business areas. And that stimulated my brain enough and fed my ADD so I didn't get bored or restless. Mm. Um, even right now, I started this morning doing a call with a CEO that I mentor in Kenya, started in the living room, finished off our 90-minute coaching call. I was working from my home office, um, then took the kids to school in the morning, then came back, and now I'm doing my interview for you. I'm in the living room again, and later this morning, I'll probably be back into the office and working. And I'll allow myself to work from three or four different places today just because it stimulates my brain and allows me to feel you know, that there's some progress or momentum. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is I use an app called Pomodoro and Pomodoro is a a 15 or 20 minute burst of focus. And then a natural alarm goes off and it gives you a a kind of a break or a reward stimulation to, you know, relax and go do email or something, but, um, you know, focusing in bursts. And then lastly is just not beating ourselves up. We need to stop this whole guilt cycle of feeling bad that we're not focused for 12 hours a day or, or focused for five days a week. It's impossible. There's not a single athlete, no single high-performance athlete could focus for 50 hours a week. So how can we expect ourselves to? We need to give ourselves a little bit of a break and allow ourselves to hyper-focus for maybe eight hours a week, do some buffer work for maybe 16 or 20 hours a week, and then you know, have lots of free time and break scheduled in between just to recharge our brains. Coming in at number five, we have episode one with some of the creative minds behind the Unstuck app, where they share the favorite and most used tool people use to get unstuck. Do you have a favorite tool 
on Unstuck? You know, I, I do. And it's one of our most popular tools, and it's called Tell Me Why. Mm. It's super simple. Um, so if something's getting in your way, like let's say I'm not writing my article that I should be writing, you know, and why, why is that? And I would probably say, because I'm too busy. Well, why is that? And you keep asking that question like four more times. And usually you get to the real root Mm -hmm. of why you're not doing it. And that insight, you know, almost leads you immediately to, okay, now I know what I need to do. Because, you know, but we have these layers that we build up, right? right? And we shield ourselves from ourselves. And Unstuck is designed to help you dig out the answer that you already have, but you won't give yourself. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. Coming in at number four, we have episode four with Daniel Harkavy founder of Building Champions and co-author of the best-selling book, Living Forward, on the power and importance of a life plan. Why do you need one? Um, You need one because most of us drift through life. Most of us will not tend to what matters most today. We buy a lie that we can get to it tomorrow. So I really want to hyper-focus on you entrepreneurs or folks that are thinking about becoming entrepreneurs. What's most common is we get super excited and passionate about the business that we're starting, that we've started, or that we're running. And it's all consuming. And there's always more work in a day than we can do. And then we start to experience some success. And that that work increases, staff increases, opportunities increase, customer base increases, problems become more complex. So you've got to get comfortable with the reality that tomorrow's not going to be any lighter or lit any easier than today. That is a lie. So you need one so that you don't amass great net worth in one or two accounts in your life and go bankrupt in some others that are really important. And I'll tell you, as an executive coach, Mike, what my team of coaches will share with you is our toughest days are days where we spend time talking to a client, an incredibly success, successful executive, you know, leading a massive company. And, and the conversation isn't around how their strategy failed. It's not around how their leadership at work failed. It's always around how something took place between the hours of five at night and nine in the morning. Something happened to their personal life. And then the dominoes began to fall. So they had marital issues. There was an addiction. They didn't take care of their health. They neglected a kid. Uh, you know, they 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 allowed relationships that were important to become distant and to break. And then how that starts to consume them and impact them at work. And now the dominoes are impacting them at work. It really matters because when we're talking to that guy or gal and they're telling us about pain 
or worse yet, regrets. Regrets are difficult to fix. Uh, Mike, I was with about 5,000 leaders last month at an event in Florida. Two very well-known CEOs who are in their 70s were sharing life lessons with this group of leaders. And the question was asked of them about what advice do you have for all these young leaders? And these two very well-known, seasoned, grandfatherly type success CEOs said, man, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Take care of what matters most. One shared a story around how he had to go back to his adult children and ask them for forgiveness for being absent. And he missed every aspect of their lives. And he said, I raised a good family. He said, they forgave me. He said, but they can't do anything to give me back the memories, the moments that I missed. There's nothing I can do to get that back. There's no amount amount of money I can pay to get that back. That's tremendous. You know, it reminds me, the why we need to do this question reminds me of a quote that I recently heard that I had never thought about, but it comes from Alice in Wonderland. Um, that the Cheshire cat says, and he says, uh, if you don't know which road you should take, any road will do. Right. You know, and it's so true because, I mean, like you're just going to wander your way through life yeah. with without intention. And so, you know, anytime you get bumped in any one direction, you have nothing to kind of pull you back. No, and that's the way a lot of people go through life is they make decisions based upon pain points or opportunities, which are oftentimes emotional. And what a life plan does is it helps you to put logic by bringing mind and heart together. And then you use that to make better decisions. Now, now here's something for all these entrepreneurs, all these business folks listening to us to understand. You need one because it'll make you more successful at work. And I can build one heck of a business case behind it because you need to understand self-leadership always precedes team leadership. So if you want to be a more effective leader at work, then you need to be more effective in leading yourself because everybody's watching you. As CEOs, as entrepreneurs, business leaders, you need to understand your teammates are watching you and they're making conscious and subconscious decisions as to how much trust and engagement they're going to give to you how much of themselves they're going to invest in following you, dependent upon what kind of a picture you're painting through your behaviors, your conversations, and how they see you doing life. So how you lead life, all right, impacts how you lead others. Coming in at number three, we have episode 13 with co-founder of Life Aid Beverage Company and a good friend, Aaron Hind, on setting yourself up to learn from other industries best practices, and how to apply them to have a game-changing impact in your business and life. And that's another little uh, tip for entrepreneurs. Uh, The biggest, I would say, transition down the success path for me personally came when I took my small notebook with me everywhere, including to bed. And Oh, entrepreneurs are, I mean, you can see it here, right? This yeah. is, this is like my fifth one and it's obviously filled with all kinds of notes and action items. Entrepreneurs, you know, we have tons and tons and tons of great ideas. And sometimes the ideas are so good on how to 10, 20 X our business. We go, there's no way I'll forget that. I'll wake up tomorrow morning and take action. You wake up the next day and guess what happens? You forgot. You forgot. So write down everything. I mean, what I love writing down is stuff like I go to a restaurant. Let me give you, let me tell a quick story if you don't mind about, I was in Colorado two weeks ago in Boulder. Um, I don't 
uh, can't remember the restaurant name off the top of my head, but it is in my iPhone notes somewhere. Um, found a restaurant and we weren't looking for anything fancy. We were looking for, you know, just a quick bite. I was with my sales guys and, and Orion. There was like five of us, I think, out there. And uh, I see a place that has like over four and a half stars with thousands, like 3,000 reviews on Yelp. And it's a burger joint. I'm thinking, how does a burger joint get four and a half stars with even with Yelp's bias on skewing? It's like, that's rare, right? Right. So, you know, let's check it out. So we go in this place and, you know, it's got kind of a cool little funky ambiance and you got to go to the bar to to get a table, right? And make a, you know, kind of... So we didn't have any reservations. I go out to the to the bar area and um, and the bartender says... It's about, you know, a 30 minute wait, but the food here is really great. And, and, I, and I think you, I mean, obviously she asked, have, have you been here before? No, I hadn't. Uh, I think you guys are really going to uh, enjoy it. Okay. Yeah. She's like, they had maybe 40 beers on tap. Um, I can pour you guys samples of any of the beers to try if, if you'd like to wait. So we put our name on the list. We wait. I'm like, oh, that's nice. So, you know, I, I request a few samples for our guys. And, and, and um, um, about two minutes later, these really good, like smoking hot fries, not just standard fries, but like the real kind of like the old school, the old steak school, fries. yeah, the old school, like really good, authentic fries come out smoking hot. Hey, this is for you guys while you wait on the house. Wow, that's nice. Then the bartender says to me, you know, just to let you know, um, you know, we don't uh, accept uh, credit cards here. I go, oh, you know, I was planning on paying obviously with the card. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and I didn't have any cash on me. She goes, there is an ATM around the, the corner. And she could tell my face was not super thrilled about that. You know, I hate pulling money out. Yeah, and paying, paying the fee. Yeah, paying the fee. at, at, uh, at uh, uh, That's the cheap side of me, but I guess the, the frugal <laughs> side. You know, I don't want to pull out a hundred bucks and pay four bucks in a fee, right? Um, and as soon as she, she saw my face kind of wrinkle. I don't even know if she was, if she paid attention to that or not, but she said, if that doesn't work for you, then we can always send you home with the bill and you can pay us by check when you get home. And I was like, really? She said, yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, wow. Okay. Um, I went out and got money anyway. But I was, it, it left an impression on me like, wow, trippy. So then we get seated. Okay. We get seated. The, the wait staff is extremely friendly. And guess what? Another smoking hot, hot fry comes out on the house, uh, gets us our beers. And then the waiter didn't know that I had already talked to the, the bartender says, you know, hey, just to let you know, you know, we don't accept, uh, you know, cards, but you can pay by check or you can pay by, you know, with cash. We've got an ATM. But, you know, if you, if that doesn't work for you, I can send you home with the bill and, and reiterated that again. Now, this left such an impression and the food was great, by the way. Yeah. This left such an impression on me. I'm thinking, no wonder these guys have four and a half stars. Like, if you think about it, the people, you know, restaurateurs or people out there, oh my God, how can they do that? Da, 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 da. And I came home and I shared this with my team. I said, how can we apply these principles to our business? Because the key for success as an entrepreneur is not looking within your industry for success. Most people in your industry are failures. Most people in business are failures. Like, why would you look inside your own industry? You know, our industry has a 99.9% .9 failure rate in beverage. Do you think I should be looking to other beverage companies to see what to do? <laughs> yeah. Heck no. Yeah. You know, we look outside. 
side, right? How can we apply that to our business? It made such an impact that I brought it up at our team meeting and we started brainstorming how we can do this. Coming in at number two, we have episode 24 with Kelly Starrett, co-founder of San Francisco CrossFit and New York Times bestselling author on the importance of how you can stay relevant in a crowded marketplace. So what I can say is, you know, to our friends now, especially in the fitness and strength conditioning space, it's a crowded, crowded space. And people are, you know, suddenly we're fighting, you know, from a biz, just pure business. I'm competing against Orange Theory and I'm competing against, you know, SoulCycle and the 27,000 paleo books. And, you know, the entire space is really crowded for attention. I mean, and I think we can go out and look for metaphor, even in the music business. I mean, Coldplay put out an album, right? Mm -hmm. Name one of the songs. You can't. I can't. Right. How about you two? Sing one of the new songs from the U2 album they gave away for free. That's U2 and Coldplay. And they might not be your cup of tea because you're elite, bougie (laughs) music guy. But there's two powerhouse... Give me a Jack Johnson song. There you go. But there's two powerhouse, huge, you know, titans of industry and music. And their music is like a blip on the radar. Right. Which means that in order to be taken seriously, you know, the first thing is be of service to your local community. That really, you know, start small. You know, we were like grassroots, bootstrap that thing, you know, show proof of concept and then start solving problems. Because if you, if you just take one problem off at a time, that's how you're going to find financial reward yeah. if being an entrepreneur is a goal. Right. But, you know, my... um. You know, I know people who like will get on a bus and they'll from San Francisco to Austin, and you know, it's like a, it's like an incubator bus where they come up with an idea and then build a business around the idea. And I'm like, that for me is like, let's have 17 carts and we'll build these roads. And we're like, what is going to pull the cart? <laughs> you know, and what are we going to put in the carts? Yeah, you know, yeah. like it's it, it's sort of backwards in the thinking versus hey, solve a problem, become competent, develop some skills and experience, right. and then by the way, there's a tidy business out of that. And coming in at number one, we have episode 25 with Jocko Willink, New York Times bestselling co-author of Extreme Ownership, How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win. And he talked about the importance of commander's intent and the number one tool needed to adapt to different personalities on the go. Is it enough to simply begin with the end in mind to use the Stephen Covey kind of quote? in order to get to understanding? And number two, how do you adapt to different personalities on the fly? I, I mean, as a SEAL, you probably had to do that on the regular. And you still have to do it on the regular as, a, as an entrepreneur and business owner. But is it enough to begin with the end in mind in order to, to get understanding? Well, there's a, there's a great quote about commander's intent, which is you know, when you're trying to get people to do something, you're trying to get people to accomplish a mission. Commander's intent is is the overall statement of why they're doing what they're doing, what the end state you're trying to reach, what the purpose is, what the goals are, what the strategy, how this fulfills the strategies. All these ideas of why are wrapped up into a term called commander's intent. And the Germans who kind of began the the notion of maneuver warfare where you actually want your leaders to have decentralized command and be out there thinking on the battlefield. Well, one of the things that was written by them that is is a quote from a general, I can't remember his name right now, but it was that this commander's intent, this idea of commander's intent shouldn't be just a blurb on the end of a long, you know, detailed briefing 
of of how the mission's supposed to go. This idea of commander's intent should actually replace the entire briefing. And so all I need to tell you is this is what I want you to do. This is why I want you to do. This is the intent I have at the end state. And I'm going to let you do how, however you want to get there. I don't care. And that's, so I would say that, yes, knowing what, knowing where you're heading and what the end state you're looking for and what the intent of the operation or the mission is, it should certainly be enough. You also, I mean, obviously you have to put some parameters around that because if I tell you, Hey, I want you to sell a bunch of these items and you're a salesperson. Well, I don't want you to go out and do it. You know, be unethical about it. I don't want you to sell things that won't really do what you say. So I'm going to put parameters around it, but I, you know, I'm going to say, Hey, here's what I want you to do. And here's the parameters you got to work with and go make it happen. I don't care how you do it. Right. No, that that's, that's powerful. And I, I don't think it's something that is taught enough in entrepreneurial circles today. I think it's people dance around that idea and that concept of of the commander's intent, as you, as you said it, and it would make things way easier and things would get done much faster, more efficiently and effectively if we as leaders simply stated the commander's intent. That's a very powerful concept. Absolutely. Now, going back to the other thing, adapting to personalities. Like you said, if I had a twin brother, he and I would have completely different personalities. So that's the same in our entrepreneurial journeys. How can we, how, how do we adapt? What tools do you use to adapt to, to different personalities on the fly? Tool number one, listen. No tool number two. <laughs> well, tool number two is what you're going to take out of your box after you've listened. But so many people in so many situations, they never break out tool number one. Tool number one is the one that tells you what are the other 14 tools that you're going to need to use here. What do those other tools look like? I mean, it's talking how you're going to talk to the person. Are you going to let them take the lead? Are you going to lead them? Are you going to clearly define things? Are you going to let them run with it? Are you going to just give them that commander's intent and let them run? Or are you going to give them very detailed instructions because they've got that kind of personality? Are you going to set specific goals for them that are very short term so they can move through that problem and, and get satisfaction along the way? Or are you just going to set that long term goal? So all these little things are the nuances of how you're going to lead people, but you won't understand which one of those tools to apply if you don't do step number one and use tool number yeah. one, which is to listen. Thank you all again for being such an important part of the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Without each of you listeners, this show would not happen. And I am incredibly grateful and humbled by your participation and listening every week. I want to hear how this show and how my guests have impacted you. So please email me at info at theimpactentrepreneur.net and share with me your stories about the game-changing impact these guests have had in your life. And in the meantime, I want to say thank you to Lawton Marketing Group and to Cody and the Podcast Masters team for helping me produce a quality show. Go have yourselves a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And don't forget... Go make an impact.